Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Welcome back, prom party. Oh, this movie was a choice. Hey, you know what? It was my choice. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since we've had a movie that's gotten us a little bit spicy. What complicated movies? We, complicated. I would say. I wouldn't I would... say it got spicy. I would say I have complicated feelings. Absolutely. This is definitely not a movie that it, it's just going to be the shit on this movie parade at all whatsoever. But this will be a. Mm, I have a lot of feelings about this movie because we haven't done one of those in a while and I don't know, we're recording this before we get the results of the election, so maybe we'll have more reasons to be justifiably spicy. Who knows? It'll be really interesting to hear how this goes after that goes live. It's not this movie's fault for whatever happens in the election. No, it's not. So it's a good thing we're doing it unobstructed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so friends, we are talking about a movie... A handful of you have wanted us to cover for quite a while now, but it's time. We're doing the duff. Yay. So, <laughs> Harmony, did you know what the duff meant? Like the term or the movie? The term. Yes, I did. Okay. Do I, you remember where you learned what that term means? Uh, VH1. I think it was like one of those countdowns of like the 40 wildest reality TV moments. Mm -hmm. And it was some guy who I think was like backstage talking to other guys. And then some girl is like a bachelorette type and she's watching from a thing from a a camera that's recording all of it. Oh, like the monitor. Maybe. She also may have been wearing a fat suit and being her own duff. And it's just like, yeah, man, you got to be nice to the duff and then you can get in with the friend. And so this is like 2004. Five, maybe, maybe earlier than that. So, like, I knew it pretty early into my teens. Okay. Um, It didn't come up very often, though. That tracks. So, doing a little bit of research, the Duff, which stands for Designated Ugly Fat Friend, entered the Urban Dictionary in 2003. Um, there is not a, like, hard source of, like, where this term came from. Uh, it does seem to be credited in popularity to things like Jersey Shore, um, as well as a couple other dating shows where people talked about this. Um, so that's where that term comes from. It's awful. Mm. But the movie we're talking about today is actually based on a novel of the same name, by Cody Kuplinger, and it's important to note that Cody wrote The Duff when she was still in high school, um, okay. which is really impressive, and she you know, submitted the book for publication. A lot of people wanted it, and they did not know how old she was, which I think, you know, hell yeah, get your bag. Mm-hmm. But I think the movie adaptation of the book, one, 
misses a lot of nuance, which tends to happen when things go from book to movie. Sure. But I also think it is painfully obvious when you read in hindsight that this is a book written by a high schooler. Uh, yes. And also, I believe the screenplay is by a man. It is. Uh, uh, it is by a man who does a lot of decoms, which is not a dirty word in this household. But no. But it explains, dare I say, uh, simpler storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, s- smiles that are so big, it looks like poor Robbie Amell might not have a central nervous system. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, the, the writing seems very aware that it's writing. Yes, and we will dive into that definitely for sure. But for those who somehow have missed the duff, here is your synopsis, which is really misleading. A high school senior instigates a social pecking order revolution after finding out that she has been labeled the duff, designated ugly fat friend by her prettier, more popular counterparts. In which, like, not really. That's not yeah. what happens. Like, she it's, does not... The, the movie is not about her starting revolution. The movie is an inverse of She's All That, where both people are in on it. So, like, that's a good thing. But this is not a movie about, like, social revolution. It's no, just I mean, not. If there was a sequel, maybe there would be. Or maybe it's somebody who just started the first ten minutes and then fast-forwarded to the end. Uh, this is a romance. Mm-hmm. This isn't, like... The Legend of Billie Jean. <laughs> yeah, this is a teen rom-com. Yeah. And it's okay that it's a teen rom-com. Just call it that. No, that's a dirty word. <laughs> um, so this is a movie you had never seen. Mm-hmm. Had you heard of it? I don't think so. I think it may have been around. Like maybe I'd seen it on streaming somewhere because I, I'm, I swear I've seen the title or at least like the poster before mm-hmm. where you you scroll through like Netflix or whatever in 2017 and go, oh, hey, look, there's a thing I'm not going to watch. Mm-hmm. You know, just that's most things on Netflix. Gotcha. But yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure it was around and I could have gleaned what it was about from the title. Right. So I saw this when it came out specifically because, one, I could not believe the audacity of a movie being called The Duff. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, I could not believe the audacity of them casting Mae Whitman as The Duff because Mm -hmm. I love Mae Whitman. And Um, she is neither ugly or fat. uh, Yeah. Yeah. And we will get into why that is my biggest issue with it for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, But before we do that, do you have any context to bring to the table in terms of what the hell was going on when this movie came out? Uh, so I have two important things to say. Um, first and foremost, there's not a lot of concrete trends in like bona fide teen releases in this time. In fact, we've only ever done one other film from 2015. Uh, it was The Final Girls, which meant it was like... That's our, an indie release. Yeah, it's our, an indie release. And also it was like, I don't know, our eighth episode or something. Mm-hmm. Like it was a long time ago because it's very much feast or famine for teen releases around this time. Uh, Some of the other ones include, like, Pitch Perfect 2, which is the highest grossing Pitch Perfect film. Mm -hmm. Um, Paper Towns. So another John Green movie after Fault in Our Stars. Correct. Uh, Dope, which Dope is actually fantastic, and we did it on the Patreon. We did. Dope, though, is also kind of an indie release. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Descendants. Okay. So Descendants, I specifically wanted you to bring up because it is a Disney movie, and I think that it's one of those 
franchises that is way bigger than people realize because it's so specifically huge with a very specific age range. Well, yeah, we're all too old to be keeping up with stuff like that probably. Right. Anyway, Whereas, so. like, it, it's not one of those franchises that's so huge that people who aren't interested in it know what it is, like the way that, like, Harry Potter or Twilight was, where sure. even if you had no interest, you knew what it was. Descendants, like, if you're not in it, people are always like, what the fuck is that? I don't mm-hmm. know what that is. Descendants is still making stuff today. Yeah, some <laughs> seven, eight years later. Yes. And they have, like, books series and stuff. I used to get Descendants books for my students, and those were always the first to go. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, also, the Unfriended movie. I love Unfriended. Unfriended is a great tech horror movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, another very, very low-budget indie release that tried its best to hide it, Gem and the Holograms. Mm-hmm. Hello, Blumhouse. I, I see you. <laughs> so, like, those are more of our, like, bona fide teen fairs, but this is also the era of the franchise. And mm-hmm. I think that's maybe one reason that it was saying like, ah, oh, yes, this girl starts a revolution because this is when we got the second Divergent movie, mm-hmm. Insurgent, and the final Hunger Games movie. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, you know, it's not a teen release, but it was extremely popular with teen girls. Fifty Shades of Grey came out this year, mm-hmm. the week before the duff. Yeah. There's... In February? Yeah. Oh, oh you, you yeah. are getting pulverized at the box office then. And this movie did make money. I think it had like an $8 million budget made and like made 45. 40-something. Yeah. So like it did okay, but like also calling it a revolution, you're trying to catch a dystopian wave that this wholly does not fit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you just, you just can't keep up with Fifty Shades of Grey. No, no, you cannot. Um, so with all of that out of the way, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Welcome to the morning announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Over at our Patreon, we offer things like our schedule ahead of time, wonderful playlists curated by Harmony, our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies, and we are currently going through our TV homecoming series through Pen15. We offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only $1. If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend, you give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and you tag us on social media, hashtag thisendsatprom or at thisendsatprom. So the first thing that I want to dissect is this idea of the duff as a social construct because I think that's a very important conversation to have. I mean, it's the title of the movie. It's the title of the movie. It is the bestowed title of the main character. Yes. And I will be the first to admit I have very complicated feelings about, quote unquote, the duff as a social construct. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to throw the first question to you. Do you think the duff exists? Uh, I actually had to ask you about this because, okay, so our, 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 our main, our, our leading man, Wesley Rush, played by the aforementioned Robbie Amell. I love you, Robbie Amell, and they did not utilize you to your fullest potential in this movie. That's really par for the course for many of the people in this movie, isn't it? But we will get there. Um, he explains what the, the duff is and like... I I have always understood it as, like, a douchey thing that, like, asshole guys kind of say to each other um, in the same way that they use terms like butterface. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, it's, it's locker room talk, but, like, not a thing that people actually really say. So I had to ask you, like, 
as he's doing this breakdown of like what the duff is across more than one scene, by the way. Hey, how much of this is actually like a factual system where it's like, oh, no, men can be duff, too. It's the approachable one so they can get to like the hot ones. And as we were having a discussion as the movie was going on, I also had to like add to my question, which is how does one become the duff? as it were is this a situation where it's like oh you're best friends with some people and then you grow up and then like one of you just doesn't grow up to be as hot as the others or is it you're you're adopted with the the knowledge of becoming the duff for this group of friends there's weird things that obviously there's not like one answer to but i I was like i should know more about this than i do but i don't (laughs) (laughs) so you're absolutely right on both terms and here's the very unfortunate reality. The Duff as a social construct and as sort of a phenomenon, like a social phenomenon, does exist. Like this is a real thing that happens and it can happen either subconsciously or consciously. Uh, I read a thing about it on Psychology Today. I will share it in the show notes. Um, I'm not going to read directly from it. I will sort of summarize what I learned. But basically, there are the subconscious things that happen. So similarly to what you mentioned of people who have been friends their entire life and then as they grow older and their interests become a little bit more defined, some person may start to gravitate towards things that are more of the conventional styles of either presentation or interest, Mm -hmm. you know, you're in quotes. Yeah. You're one girl who suddenly is really, really into makeup and cheerleading, Mm -hmm. right? Like we're talking obviously huge, broad strokes, generalizations here. Let's talk in teen movie stereotypes. We're going to talk in teen movie stereotypes. Yes. So looking at it in this situation, like you have the Jess and Casey characters who, as they got older, got really into being really kind and like they're dressed kind of preppy or they're dressed like very seductive. Like they refer to, to Casey as like spicy Latina a lot, which is really gross. Uh, the the fucking Toby. Yeah. Uh, like ooh caliente. Yeah, real Ugh. sick. Like not okay. But you're kind of dealing with these two girls that have a very similar energy to like one of them is very like Carrie Underwood, and the other one is very like J Lo. Like that's what they're dealing with here. And then you have Bianca who is wearing overalls and she At is... At a time when overalls were not the hotness. Right. And I swear it has to be a she's all that reference. I think that it is. I just... Or, like, there's so many teen conventions and, and movie references in here. Oh, like, it it's is, gotta it is be. Just, it is a fistful of references out of, like, a Halloween bucket. Uh-huh. Um, and also, I think it's poetic to kind of be doing this towards the end of the year when we started the year with not another teen movie when it's just, like, yeah. overalls. <laughs> a ponytail. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, we have Bianca who wears overalls. She's really into horror movies. She She's into niche horror she's movies. Into she's into niche She's a zombie two movies. poster. I know. I think she might have a maniac one that you can see in a mirror, but it's never actually in the <laughs> shot. I'm like, oh, look at you. Right. So these are characters that have known each other their entire lives, but there's even a scene where they look back at, like, old Facebook photos when they're kids, and it's like, why we were Charlie's Angels. Why wasn't I an angel? Why was I Bosley? There are three there's angels. There's three angels. <laughs> and it's one of those things where it's like sometimes, like, even when you're little, you sort of just know who you are, and you gravitate towards who you are. And then as you get older, the way society perceives you changes completely. And that's not the fault of anybody who is in that friend group because y'all have always been friends. Yeah, though I actually want to think about this in terms of them growing up. Um, If they were Charlie's Angels and this is from 2015, that meant they were doing like the fully loaded Charlie's (laughs) Angels. Yes. Which means that the Bosley she was was 
Bernie Mac. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. Bernie Mac ain't no snob. You can't be friends with everybody. You got to have the right chemistry. You know how it is. That's why y'all be checking y'all call ID on your phone. Who that? Who that? So, you know, that's kind of the subconscious way that the quote unquote duff happens where it is not an intentional decision by any of the people that are involved in that friend group. It is merely a changed perception by the rest of the world as to how these friends all exist in a social hierarchy. Yes. And this, unfortunately, um, she 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 has she has a she has a reaction to it Mm -hmm. and then assumes like worst insidious intent of her friends mm-hmm. like oh you're using me mm-hmm. you're, you're 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 patronizing me yes by keeping me around because there is also a very real and very insidious version where adopting a duff into your friend group is an intentional choice and the easiest way that i can describe this as being very much a thing and if you need proof of it read any am I the asshole on Reddit about bridezillas. There are so many examples of people that are like, was I the asshole for like getting out of this wedding or whatever, where you have brides who are telling their friends they have to like change everything about their appearance because otherwise you're going to quote unquote ruin my special day or brides who have intentionally asked people to be their bridesmaids that are fatter or that are whatever because in their brains, oh, this is going to make me look even prettier on my wedding day. Mm -hmm. Like these are real things that we can see continually happening. That is an insidious version of having a duff. So it's really fucked because as much as I would love to put on like my feminist hat and be like, the duff isn't real. It's real. Like this Mm -hmm. is a very real phenomenon and it's really gross. Uh, And that's why it's important to unpack it. And that's also why this movie is so frustrating because this is a real thing that happens. This is a real phenomenon. But the problem is that because this movie wants to have its cake and eat it too, like it wants to dismantle this like very harmful trope, but it's doing so without allowing somebody who would actually be affected by this to do the dismantling because May Whitman is not ugly, nor is she fat. Nope. And again, we're dealing with, you know, 2010s lingo here. We have not reclaimed the word fat yet. It is still a horrible insult. And she is just aghast when she finds out she's the duff because she's like, I'm not fat. I'm not fat. Like, and Uh, being perceived as fat or ugly is like the worst possible thing ever. Yeah. I don't don't know when the clear divide of like booties and thickness sort of like took over, particularly in like for white people. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know exactly when that sort of like clearly shifted. I imagine it's probably around this time. We're getting um, close. Whenever Kim Kardashian got a BBL. Yeah, and like I think Anaconda came out the year before. So like this is that would have been when this was in production. Yeah, so we're like, starting to reclaim thickness. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so there's like videos that uh hello Bella Thorne. Good good to see you again so soon, I suppose. Um, but like her friend films them at like their changing clothes montage at the mall that you have in teen movies. It's like, ooh, her legs are jiggling. Ooh, her ass is so fat. Mm -hmm. And it's got these like really hokey YouTube (laughs) like text and shit on it. Mm -hmm. It's it's not even like YouTube poop, but it wants to pretend it's YouTube poop. Yeah, it very much feels like, like, do you remember Picasso or PicMonkey? No. It's like that era of social media when girls would just like Photoshop their pictures using one of those two apps, which allowed you to put like little 
stickers and whatever over it in weird font and like everybody okay. did that. People could do that for videos for YouTube around this time. Gotcha. That's very much what's happening. Um, it's just rough. So my biggest beef that I have with the Duff is that the reclamation feels so hollow to me because it's not being done by somebody who deserves to. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that. But more importantly, there are moments in this movie that are genuinely fantastic. Oh, no. There's a lot of good moments in this movie, but there's a lot of bad moments in this movie. Or Honestly, honestly there's not even that many bad mo- moments. There's a whole lot of, eh, it doesn't land right moments. Right. Like, like there's so many moments in this movie where they are so close to getting the point. Like, they're walking right up to it and then just whiffing it. Yeah. So I, I have a question for you now. So so Mae Whitman mm-hmm. is in her later 20s. She in is film. 27 in this movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Robbie Amell also is 27, I believe. She plays a mother of like a 12-year-old three years later in Good Girls. Yes. Yes. So... um. There, there's a certain level of suspension. Of, there, there, there's a certain suspension of disbelief mm-hmm. going into looking at her as a high school student. Yes. Like, I'm able to do it, but, you know, you just, that's probably just because we're used to seeing older people playing teens, and that's normal. Right, but then when she's next to Bella Thorne, I'm like, you're an adult. <laughs> yeah, well, there's like an eight-year difference. So yeah, Bella Thorne thinks like 19 in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so my question to you then is, from a production standpoint from like a casting standpoint from like a studio standpoint is it easier to suspend your disbelief that a 27 year old is like 10 years younger than it is to say like oh a girl who is genuinely like less attractive in big quotes or fat in quotes is a less believable and empathetic protagonist here's my thoughts of what happened with this is they needed somebody that they could sell this movie with as the lead. Mm -hmm. And no one of the appropriate age is going to want to have like a big breakthrough role where they are playing a character that is labeled as the designated ugly fat friend. No young actor is going to want to do that because then you're going to get pigeonholed as that character moving forward. I mean, can I can I be a piece of shit and talk about advertisers because I see commercials on like Pluto mm-hmm. or Tubi and it'll be like blah 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 uh, adult incontinence underpants and it's always like they're older or they're heavier mm-hmm. and it's never like thin pretty girls marketing the adult diapers. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm, it's probably because they can get other jobs in in mm-hmm. advertisement. No, you're 100% right. So there so you have that going for you. And then also you have to think what sort of actors would be able to believably play a role that is a quote unquote designated ugly fat friend that would actually fall under those parameters? Oh, that's right. We don't give fat actors jobs. So there is no fat actor of this age range that could also be a household name and be a draw for them. So what they end up doing is they went a lot older than what they probably needed to for this because Mae Whitman is somebody who is very well established as being a very good actor who's very funny but also plays a lot of these like 
average girl roles. She's played a lot of those characters or ones that are like kind of quirky or kind of alt. I mean, she's the bi-furious one in Scott Mm -hmm. Pilgrim. She was on Parenthood where she was kind of like an edgy teen. So she already has a good rapport with audiences. People recognize her and they recognize her as somebody who doesn't play like quote unquote bombshell hotties. So that's why they got her because they don't have anybody that they could hang their hat on and go, yes, this will be a success. Because we don't let people who could play these characters become household names because it's a superficial industry. I mean, we are in a post-Fat Amy world. Mm-hmm. But also, that was a college-age student, so you can't go back to high school. Correct. And also, Fat Amy had a lot of problems. She sure did. So, <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of problems in the Duff as well. There are some like really cringy, like, ooh, yeah, that's 2015 uh-huh. uh, kind of moments that exist throughout this. I mean, Dr. Ken's here, love him dearly, uh, but every once in a while he'll say something where I'm just like, oh, yep, this is this is a post-hangover world we're in, aren't we, huh? Mm-hmm. Or uh, Chris Wilde's here. Mm-hmm. Because this movie um, has three separate actors who are also in The Babysitter in it. So I'm really glad that we decided to do The Babysitter and The Duff so close together because I think it is a really good I it is a really good examination of just how much can change within like a 3-year time period or I think it's even 2-year time period. Yeah, because The Babysitter took a couple of years to come out. Yes. Um and so McGee, who directed The Babysitter also produced this movie, which is why we have so many borrowing of the same characters, mm-hmm. but I also think that it is fascinating because the babysitter absolutely knows what to do with Robbie Amell and Bella Thorne, and I don't think this movie does. And also, like, Chris Wilde, where he's a fucking douchey mm-hmm. midlife crisis dad, and in this one, he's just kind of like, yeah, she's hot. And I'm like, could you not say that about students, sir? Yeah, he's just like a lecherous teacher, and like, it's not funny, is the yeah. thing. It's just gross. No, he's like a dirtbag in The Babysitter, and I'm like, oh, no, I get this. Like, you go far enough. This one doesn't go far enough. Oh, yeah. I feel like this wants to go farther. But it doesn't, like, to the point where I'm rewatching Scrubs right now, so I'm fine with, like, a goofy fantasy sequence. But then there's the moments at, like, dinner with Toby, and Robbie Amell is just poofing in and around her shoulder and stuff like that. I'm like, where did this come from? Why, mm-hmm. why is this in the movie suddenly? Right. And it just, it sort of goes places, but inconsistently. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just... It's, it's clumsy. Yes. This movie has a lot of these really fun, like, tongue-in-cheek moments, but it doesn't, like, it wants to be taken seriously because they're trying to dismantle a, a harmful trope. Like, sure. that's what they're trying to do. But the problem is they're being a little too precious and earnest about it, and it's like you either need to make this so earnest that it feels like an after-school special and we can kind of make fun of it and have fun with it, Or you need to swing into high camp so hard that it becomes this like very amazing biting satire the way that something like Heather's is. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't go far enough. So then it just feels disappointing. Yeah. And honestly, as mean as we want to pretend this movie is, like Bella Thorne is the least mean I think I've ever seen her in a movie in this. She is so dialed back. Like Uh Bella Thorne... You know, say say what you will about her personally. Say what you will about every single character she plays because they're all the same. <laughs> but on screen, there is no one who can play like the 
evil, hot bitch better than Bella Thorne. She's unfucking believable. Mm-hmm. And in this, she's like coasting. It very much has uh, Megan Fox in Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, a movie I know you have not seen, nope. where it's one of those situations where it's like, ooh, you, you're you so close to knowing what you have to be doing in this, yeah. but like you're being held back by the writing. She has some moments where she has good lines of being like, you know, some people say that like high school doesn't matter, but it matters a lot. Or like, I'm pre-famous. Like, there's mm-hmm. these little bits where it's like, oh, there's something there. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't quite go there. Mm-mm. And I, I love that we're comparing this to so many other movies like Heather's and Confession as a Teenage Drama Queen and The Babysitter. Mm-hmm. Because, like, this is so many other movies. I mean, it opens but, with a Breakfast Club reference. Yeah, which is like, I've seen it online compared to Easy A and Mean Girls primarily because of, like, the deconstruction of the high school system and also probably the narration. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, that's true, but it's not as mean or as meaningful as those two films. No, not even close. Also mixing in a million other ideas from other movies thrown in. Mm-hmm. And the, the way I was trying to describe this is it felt like when you're, when we were in high school and mm-hmm. you download something on LimeWire and maybe you'll get lucky and it's like a kind of a fresh file mm-hmm. or maybe it's one that's been shared a million and a half times and it's degraded and compressed a million times over. Mm-hmm. So now it just sounds like someone recorded it off the radio with mm-hmm. like a tape recorder mm-hmm. and it just sounds bad. This is like so far removed from the many, many things it wants to be that it, it just feels like it's degraded into a bit of noise. I agree with you completely. And it, it's one of those frustrating things where I think that the Duff has such good intentions. It's got good bones. It's got good bones, but it just doesn't know how to go the distance. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, we're subverting the she's all that thing and the 10 things I hate about you thing and doing what I have asked for in both of those movies, which is... This wouldn't be so bad if you were both in on it. And so the fact that Bianca and Wes are both in on it and Mm -hmm. like we're going to help each other out. This is going to be a mutually beneficial relationship. You're helping me with school. I'm helping you become popular and get the guy of your dreams. Like that's good. They're both in on it. And so then when it doesn't work, there is that fantastic moment where Bianca goes, hey, this was an experiment. Let's just cut our losses. Mm -hmm. It was good for you and it wasn't for me. I love that. Holy shit, do I love that? Because Mm -hmm. she's right. Like, this is a very uneven situation. Yeah. That's amazing stuff. But it's the everything else around it that doesn't make sense and is very, very frustrating. And this might be a a hot take, um, but this is my feelings after revisiting it. I think the Duff and 2015, that is the line in the sand where I don't think people knew what to do with teen movies anymore. The Duff, like the script of The Duff, feels like it was written by an algorithm of how do you do fellow teens. Like it has way too many references to movies that teens of that era would not have been into. It it double, maybe triple dipped into the, the Easy A inkwell. Oh, yes. Because it's like Easy A was like the big film for that period. Mm -hmm. Five years after Mean Girls. This is five years after Easy A. Mm -hmm. And it's just you're seeing it get further and further away from Heather's, further and further away from John Hughes. And it just, 
this feels is where like a game of up. telephone. Like we started yeah. with John Hughes and we ended with this. Like that's what it feels like because you can kind of see it. It's like it's like a bunch of people trying to copy each other's homework. Mm-hmm. And by the time we've gotten to the duff, like it's nothing about it feels original anymore. Like there's no creative voice in it. There's no personality. It feels like things were plugged in and chugged from different areas. Like the scene where they stop being friends doesn't hold any sort of weight to me at all. Like these are three people who've been friends since childhood that are now no longer talking to each other. And there is no emotional weight to it at all. It's all just let's name as many social media apps as humanly possible. And that is the that is the culmination <sighs> of a friendship of over a decade ending is I'm not following you on Vine anymore. Like, what? Of all of those social media sites, why did Vine have to be the one that died? Look, I miss Vine every single day. I Like, why, <laughs> why are we still dealing with every other social media platform that are somehow still chugging along and Vine is dead? I know. It is a cr- that is the cruel reality of life. Yes, but like, you're right, though. This, this is a visual medium. And the classic thing of visual medium is show me. You didn't show me. You you told me. Yeah. You told me you're friends forever. You 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 told me that you were friends, like in literal narration. And sure, you get these moments of like, oh, well, why was I Bosley? Which is like showing me like, oh, we've been friends forever because there's a picture. But like you didn't actually put any stakes on it. And we have a problem like that later on where sort of out of nowhere, Wesley is into Bianca. Mm-hmm. And like, I guess, I guess that we also uh, we say that they were friends growing up and that they live next door to each other. Mm-hmm. So like, again, you're telling me things, but it comes up kind of late. And even though you have like boy on screen, girl on screen, clearly they've going to kiss, kiss. Mm-hmm. Like that's a thing that you just accept to happen. And you have like the think rock scene where it, it, it's there. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel earned. No, none of the connective tissue between the two of them feels earned. And that's not to say that they don't have moments that are lovely. I think there are a couple of exchanges between Bianca and Wes that work specifically because Mae Whitman and Robbie Amell are wonderful. Like when she breaks into the locker room and he's just like flexing his pecs at her nonstop. That scene goes on a little bit too long for my liking where it's just like, all right, like let's wrap this bit up. I get it. But like the chemistry they have in there is really funny. The chemistry they have when he's plotting out her date on the, on the chalkboard to Dave and Buster's. Yeah. You're going to go to Dave and Buster's like that scene. I think is like, there's some really charming stuff. There's some of your budget is plug in Dave and Buster's. (laughs) Yeah. Like I think that's really lovely. And then, you know, we have the think rock scene, which I think they're both doing really good work. I think the kiss is really good. I think the, failed recovery is really good Mm -hmm. but how they get there feels completely unearned it's like oh your parents are fighting well my parents are divorced and like hey it's gonna be okay and like i'm here for you because i've been there and i get it it feels like this very random like serious moment that just was shoehorned in Mm -hmm. and it just it doesn't work with the tone of this movie and we know kind of from the beginning like okay Wes and Bianca are gonna fall in love and realize that they're meant to be together well yeah it's it's the thing that feels like hey you you, the shorthand of understanding how teen films work is supposed to sort of like help guide this along like Mm -hmm. it's using it as like a crutch Mm -hmm. rather than actually giving you stakes it's just giving you what you should want Mm -hmm. because you're conditioned to want it exactly and so that's like a really frustrating thing because i think them 
building their relationship would be so much better. And it just, it does like that big romantic gesture at the ending feels completely unearned to me. Mm -hmm, Um, Same. So that's really disappointing because I think that, you know, there was potential here. There was really good potential here. Um, So that I have an issue with. Um, I have a huge issue with the message of this movie being like, own your status like hey if you're the duff own being the duff we're all duffs but, which means none none of us which are duffs. means none of us are duffs which is like not the point and it is that that is further exemplified because i don't remember which one it is but like when this movie came out one of the jenners wore a t-shirt that said like i'm somebody's duff no like that's not how that works this is not sydney white i'm a dork mm-hmm. like no it doesn't work that way because this is a social construct like this is a very real thing that has very real ramifications for a lot of people and like that's not how you dismantle this you can't dismantle it by being like everybody is somebody's duff like that's such a nice way to approach it but that's not how you actually enact change it's very idyllic but yes it's it's not practical no um (laughs) bianca you even have this moment where she sort of underst- she learns what the duff is and she starts mm-hmm. to understand what the duff is and then is looking around like the lunchroom and being like, they're a duff and they're a duff and they're a duff in every click. Like there's teacher duffs, there's whatever. Mm-hmm. And now that means that she is also internalizing this idea of what she considers like ugly and fat and going, you're the ugliest and fattest one in that friend group. You're the ugliest and fattest. And now she's just like laying out like this social judgment to the people around her. So right. it's, all, it's almost like a virus that has been spread to her because she is she's seen that the Truman Show is actually the Truman Show, but it's mm-hmm. the Duff. <laughs> no, you're 100% right because they have this mentality of like, you know, oh, well, every group has it and they're not necessarily ugly and fat. Like it's just been used as a catch all. But she's still the one making those judgment calls to a bunch of different friend groups. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's so shitty. <laughs> like, that's that's not empowering at all. That's awful. Like, that's really mean. Yeah, it's actually not my job to give you pervy intel on my best friends, but thanks. Well, I mean, it kind of is, though. People ask you questions about them, right? Because that's your job as their duff. Sorry, as their what? Duff. D-U-F-F. Designated ugly fat friend. What did you just say to me? It's not like a big deal, okay? I mean, like, every group of friends has one. You know, the one who doesn't look as good, thus making their friends look better. The one who's who's approachable and, and easy to talk to because no one's trying to get in their pants. And if you don't know who it is, chances are it's you. Say when. Say when. Okay. Look, I didn't mean it like that, all right? Um, the Duff doesn't always have to be some heinous beast, all right? Take a look at Robin. Robin's like super cute. Okay, but her friends are super hot. Oh God, that is such a guy thing to say. Guys can be duffs too. So, like, let's let's break down Wes's uh, teaching lessons, where he says things like, "Oh yeah, like look at that loser eating by himself at the food court. Go go try and get his number because like you start with an obvious easy guy." Like, he's an easy mark. If you can't get that guy's number, then what? There's no help in you, basically. Right. And, like, what a weird judgment call that is for you, Wes. Like, to be like, oh, of course that guy's going to be so desperate to want your number that, like, you're going to have to be able to get it. Like, rude, man. (laughs) Yeah. And also, he has this, like, reverse hitchism of it Mm -hmm. where he's basically teaching, like, how to game the system like, like 
like like a pickup artist, right? Where he's like, these are the moves you do, and like, but it's not to the extent of a pickup artist where it's like, yeah, your number one move is clearly negging the guy, <laughs> neg the shit out yeah, of him. Like he, he's not doing that, but like it's all clearly this like ploy that isn't actually teaching her how to be confident or get with boys. It's teaching her in a really select scenario. It's it's kind of like in a math class where. You know, a teacher goes like, well, you use this formula to find out X and that'll help you with Y. And then you can find out the, how they connect or whatever. But they don't actually explain what the formula does. They just teach you the formula. Mm-hmm. So then you're just learning how to memorize a thing rather than actually apply knowledge, which that makes sense for him. He's a jock. He doesn't understand stuff like that. And he's also teaching you how to like get girl. He's, he's also teaching her how to get boys by the way that he likes to get girls and like what he does. So it doesn't really work in that sense, but she should be smarter than this. Mm-hmm. She's very smart. She should be able to go, huh, maybe there's, maybe there's something about this that isn't correlating. I agree with you completely. And it feels like such an insult to her character that that's not being explored, which I will admit, I think is explored better in the book. It's been a while since I've read the book, so I don't want to speak with too much authority on it, but these are themes that are better explored in the book. But I really wanted to reference a piece that was written around the time this movie came out from Bitch Media. Um, I can't remember if Bitch Media still exists. I hope they do. (laughs) But um, it was by Kate Lindsay, and it's titled, We Can Already Declare the Duff to Be the Worst Movie of 2015. That seems a bit harsh. This movie came out in February, remember? So, like, this... Without even knowing what else came out in 2015, I'm willing to bet there are worse things. But I'll I'll follow you on this. So the writer talks about how this movie is, you know, kind of ridiculous, talking about the points we've already brought up about how we don't get a chance to establish this friendship before it immediately gets ripped apart. Uh, The fact that Mae Whitman is being presented as a duff is absolutely absurd. All of the things that we've already said. But I really, really like this ending, which says the film's final strike is its inability to resolve any issues or land on any kind of moral I like silly teen movies as much as any other pop culture consumer, and so I wanted to give this film the benefit of the doubt. The only healthy way to end it would have been to entirely dismantle the idea of the duff, to tell teen girls that a duff isn't a real thing and that friendships are built on more than potential for romantic relationships. Instead, the script wraps up with some hybrid cliches of both labels are meaningless and own the label. Mm -hmm. Bianca tells us it's not about getting the guy, but then when the guy finally kisses her, it's the best night of her life. Whatever this film was trying to say, it gets lost when she's riding off to the sunset with her new boyfriend rather than loving herself. Mm -hmm. And that to me is exactly the problem is that this movie spends the entire time trying to both sides the situation because yes, it does say labels are meaningless, but then you have Allison Janney, who has just now taken the lead of appearing in more movies than anyone else we've covered on the podcast so far, gives this motivational speech to her daughter, Bianca, that's like, you're a weirdo and you're the best weirdo. Own how fucking weird you are, kiddo. I love you. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you can't say labels are meaningless and simultaneously say, own the label. Yeah. Like, that doesn't work. You also can't say, it's not about getting the guy and then the best thing that happens to you is you get the guy and then you write the essay about it for a school paper about how how awesome it is that now you're the duff and you got the guy. Like, it, that's no. You can't have both. They're diametrically opposed ideas. 
Okay, so absolutely. And also, this is the least interesting use of Alice and Janney that we've had on the show, aside from Hairspray 2007, where mm-hmm. she is supremely wasted. Agreed. But at least the moments she does have in that are fantastic. Yeah, like she has a couple moments in this. I like the idea of she's a divorced mom in a pantsuit who's a motivational speaker. I do love that for her. (laughs) I I like it because it's Alice and Janney and she's working with it, but they don't actually give her enough interesting stuff to work with. The only thing that Um, makes that character interesting is that it's Alice and Janney. You put any other actor in there and I don't know who the fuck that is. Yeah, it could have been a very funny character. Agreed. But it's not. Um... But if you want to go ahead and go with, with this with theming, like, let, let's be generous. I'm glass half full. Teens don't know what they're doing. They're making it up as they go along. They're not, not, not everything has to be like this big earth rending moment. Mm-hmm. But also, this is a movie that's all about how like the earth rending moments that like you can think about for the rest of your life matter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you go ahead and say like, okay, cool. Well, um, it's not actually teaching anything because again that's not what wesley rush is doing he's teaching you how to cheat at dating Mm -hmm. not actually teaching you how to be confident Mm -hmm. so it makes sense but only if the clumsiness was what the story was going for but it is going for a moral yes trying to wrap it up in this nice scrubs monologue at the end but also, it's it's betraying its own moral. One hundred percent. Like I had, I had a driving instructor. For the sake of the story, we'll call him Bob Bodie, because that's not too far off. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he he was this older dude who, when I had to do maneuverability with like the five cones and the poles, mm-hmm. he's like, "Cool, we're gonna teach you maneuverability." Rather than say, "Hey, use your damn mirrors," I'm gonna teach you how to use your mirrors. He said, "Cool, when you pass the second set of cones, turn your wheel." 180 degrees perfectly and then you come to a stop and then you turn it back to 90 degrees and then another like he taught me like how to position my hands to move rather than actually teaching me how to drive he taught me how to cheat at a test yeah he didn't by the way i failed that the first time he didn't (laughs) give you the skills to be able to intuitively know how to drive he gave you things to memorize yes which helps on like a test maybe Mm -hmm. but what if the test is slightly different what if you're not at dave and buster's Mm-hmm. What if Dude Man McCool is ordering way too much sushi because he thinks three girls are coming over to his house? Mm-hmm. Like, can, let, can we just talk about Toby for a second? Because he's just really living up to, the, again, the teen stereotype of don't trust a soft boy with a guitar. So here's the thing. <laughs> I fucking love Toby as a character. Not in the sense of like, oh, I love Toby. He's great. I love that he exists because he is one of the first examples that I can see of the soft boy with a guitar where you have to let girls know that it's not just like the pretty boy jocks that can fuck you over. It's also the soft boys who have art to show you. Those guys can also suck. And it's really, really important messaging that I think gets lost in teen movies when we're playing with these archetypes and playing with these big characters. The introduction of Toby as the soft boy who seems disarming, who seems kind, who seems intellectual, but is just as shallow and shitty as every other guy. Mm -hmm. That's good. Like we need that messaging. And I love that she's the one who realizes that it's happening. Oh, yeah. Where like, she's like, oh, you're going to duff me. She's like, you're duffing me right now. And he kind of has this like, whoa, uh, and like kind of stumbles. And she's like, no, no, no. I see what's happening here. Because the big issue, I guess, at the, the central conflict of this is that everybody seemingly has known that she's the duff except mm-hmm. for her. And that's why she flips out so hard because she thinks it's been this like weird conspiracy that no one let her in on. And that's why she's so hurt, which like 
no, Bianca, it's not been this very large conspiracy. The world just sucks. Your friends do actually like you. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, she's got to get there on her own. And I'm glad that she does get to go there on her own. I think that that's lovely. But the fact that Toby seems on paper, like there is like that nice little red herring thing, I think is really good. Like that is an aspect of this movie I really like. And it's just frustrating that that moment is in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I do like it as a subversion because it's like, oh, no, the jock is actually the nice boy who's sensitive and you do want to get with Mm -hmm. and not the guy who seems like the nice artsy boy you should get with. I like that because there is almost this there there is this swerve that sort of exists where he does want to talk to her and compliment her on her socks when she's like full duff mode. And it's just like, well, I'm gonna look fucking lazy and like a piece of shit anyway, because you all hate me when nobody actually hates her. Correct. Like This is a thing she has completely concocted in her head. Well, yeah, she's she as well as a lot of other high schoolers place value on like their attractiveness. That's mm-hmm. that's just a insecurity thing. I get it. But He comes up and wants to talk to her then, which could, you know, at the time think like, oh, no, he actually is interested in her. He says like, hey, to her, like he he engages with her when everyone else thinks she's invisible. Mm -hmm. And so maybe there is something there, a little spark, except there's not. Mm -hmm. We find out he's been trying to duff her the whole time, Mm -hmm. which makes him like an even bigger piece of shit. Mm -hmm. So it's a good swerve. I like that, especially because during that dinner, I'm like, I don't trust this kid. He's too sensitive. Yeah, you were like, I don't trust this. Something's up. And I was like, keep watching. <laughs> I'm like, he's a duffer, isn't he? <laughs> so I called it. But like, that's a part of this movie I like. But then it's colliding with the weird fantasy thing of Wes in her ear, mm-hmm. which is not present in any other part of the movie. No. And I wish that there were more scenes like that. Because one, I think that this movie criminally underutilizes the talents of Robbie Amell. Because he is so pretty, mm-hmm. they don't let him be funny. Like, they don't let him be a goofball. Yeah. And the moments that he gets to be a goofball are the best moments for him in the whole movie. Oh, yeah. Like, the credits have bloopers or, like, outtakes. And everyone is so much more charming in those because they're just, like, it, it's more sincere. Because they're, it's sincere. And it, it, it doesn't feel like writing that went through an algorithm. Yeah. Like, it, I cannot stand a lot of the writing in this movie because, to me, like... It's one of those, like, you know it when you see it sort of things where, like, I can hear, like, some exec being like, my kid saw this thing on the YouTube the other day and it was really funny. Let's let's put that in here. Like, that's what it feels like this whole script is. And it's done in a way where when Easy A wears its references on its sleeve, like, it's very cheeky and it's mm-hmm. very, like, wink at the camera. You also have the powerhouse that is Emma Stone. Right. Whereas in the Duff, when they are making their references or, like, baking an homage, they're trying to be, like, ironic about it and, mm-hmm. like, mm, it's not that big of a deal. I'm just going to make this reference over here. And because it's not owning it, like, it's not owning its label, mm-hmm. then it, like, it falls flat. Yeah. Like, say it with your fucking chest. Like, if you're going to be making an homage to something, own it. And they don't. They're trying to act like they're above it, but also like they know about it. So they're really into it and really cool. Mm-hmm. Like, and it just, it doesn't work. These conventions fall apart. Yeah. And I don't think that's an issue with like the source material. I, I think there's heart to the the material. I think there's heart in the characters. Mm-hmm. I think it's just in the execution. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the person who, I, I feel like the guy who wrote the screenplay for this, or maybe it's the director, I don't know who to exactly to point fingers at, probably a little bit of everyone. There's always producer hands too in it. And exactly. that's something that I, I hope we make very clear on this show, because 
I do work within the industry in very weird ways. So I know that a lot of times it's not the director or the writer's fault. Yeah. It's some weird number cruncher who was like, we have to make this reference because it tracks really good with SEO. This part didn't play well. The test audiences, we need to change it. Yes, This exactly. part was too mean. We need to dial it back. Exactly. Like, no, I, I get that. Um, I, I don't know exactly who to point fingers at during this whole process, but it feels like they had set stops on like a map like where they put pins in and go okay that's the that's where we're stopping that's where we're stopping these are our big set pieces along the way of the movie and then the in-between stuff was kind of just like i don't know go through the motions mm-hmm. like when she gets back together with her friends who like do her favor and like they hack into youtube and take down the video that was compiled of her trying on clothes mm-hmm. like they're, they're kind of looking out for her no matter what but like when they get back together they're just like so sweet and inauthentic and I don't think it's the actor's fault. No, they just just have been given nothing. The writing is just like, you're so smart. Ha. And then they smile. If anything, we're jealous of you. Yeah. Like it just, it feels like mm. an obligation to get to where you want to go. And it, to me, like it is so painfully some guy being like, that's how girls talk, huh? Right. Like that's what this is a pillow fight. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, no. A little bit. It just, I don't know. It doesn't land the way I want it to, which is frustrating because there are, again, good bones to this movie, but it just, it's, it's a mess. Yeah. And like, everything's melting off the bones, like in zombie two, which Bianca is a big fan of. Right. Plus Wesley would never leave me for some duff anyway. Look, Madison. It's okay. Ooh, Madison, you used to make me so upset, but now I just feel bad for you. Yeah, I'm somebody's duff. Guess what? So are you. So is everybody. There's always going to be somebody prettier, more talented, or richer than you. But it shouldn't affect how you see yourself. You label everybody to try to keep them down, but you end up missing out on all this great stuff around you. You have Wesley, and you treat him like he's stupid, but he isn't. And people don't like him because he's with you. They like him because he's, like, an amazing guy. Look, I like myself. I wouldn't want to be anybody else. And I realize now that none of this matters to me. But it does to you. It's your dream. And I totally support that. Just don't tear me down for not giving a shit about your labels because, in the end, they're meaningless. There are so many movies that exist that do this idea of the friends that you don't think would be friends better. Like Jennifer's body is the best example of it where they address the fact like, yeah, people wouldn't understand why I'm friends with a babe like Jennifer, but here's why. And they explain it and it makes sense. We never get any of that with this. Like we don't see them be friends. So when, and like when they break up their friendship and like there is no emotion to it, like I, I have no investment in them. So when they do show up and they're like, I'm going to, you know, help make your dress. And it's this very like pretty and pink moment, which I, for the record, I fucking love that dress. It's cute. I loved that dress when it came out. I love that dress today. The, the plaid top that doesn't look too rockabilly, but kind of is fabulous dress. It's very love classic, it. but also kind of hot topic. Yes. Oh my God. I'm obsessed with it. And the skirt is perfect. It's wonderful. All the tool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. I, also, um, this movie has a pretty all right soundtrack. All of it either is or sounds like Charlie XCX. Yes. And, <laughs> and uh, a kind of pop. I particularly love that scene because it's a needle drop to a really good Daft Punk song. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's pretty tight to make a grand entrance to. Yeah. It's, real, it's really nice. But when they have that whole like, we're going to do it together and we're going to do this, blah, blah, blah. We're going as friends. 
that should feel like revelatory and it doesn't Mm -hmm. at all. It just feels like, all right, I guess, sure. Yeah. Because there's also been, like, once they're not friends, with the exception of Casey and Jess, like, staring at her in the hallway when she's talking to Toby, there's no acknowledgement of, like... They're gone from the movie for, They're, like, like, like not there. Like, there's no acknowledgement of, like, I just lost my friends of over a decade. Like, the female friendship in this is so deprioritized that it doesn't even exist in this movie. And it is all about the romance. And that is, to me, the most egregious mistake this makes outside of this being called the Duff and the Duff not being fat. Like, how fucking dare you? It's in the name. It is in the name of the trope, and you still couldn't cast a fat girl. God fucking damn it. Like, also part of the Duff is friend, and she suddenly has no friends. Yes! So, I mean, that's a problem. It's so Um, frustrating. Yeah, and like even if you want to go again, good faith. Let's let's assume good faith here and in Glass Heffel. You could say that like, okay, teens are get obsessive about things. She she's mm-hmm. blinded by obsession of reclaiming or improving her status to prove that she is neither ugly or fat or apparently a friend. <laughs> <laughs> so Or designated. Ah, so um you you could you could say like that's what the thing is, but then this also isn't really a movie about obsession because she's not obsessed with it. Right. It's just the kind of like a casual pursuit that's like got some yucks along the way, um, including a mall montage where she tries on clothes and there's a lot of sideways hats because it's 2015. Many, many of them, yes. Uh, yes, like I mean I don't know lids were probably very popular in that <laughs> mall at the time, so it, it tracks. But uh, I don't I don't I don't know. It just it has these good elements and then doesn't do things. It has good actors and then doesn't do things with them. It has good characters that are almost good because the actors are good, mm-hmm. but they don't do enough with them. Yeah. It, and like Mae Whitman is so fantastic in this. Like I she's doing such a good job. She's bringing so much emotional weight. I believe everything she's doing. She is trying so hard with just a shit script and bad material. And that's not on her. Like, she is making it work. And it is just so infuriating how close this movie gets to greatness, but then whiffs it so hard that it becomes, like, actively problematic. Yeah. And I think that is that is at the, the core of what makes me so upset with this. And I, I do also just want to say, like, for, for the record, I know that this movie means a lot to a lot of people. Because for a lot of people... This is the first time that they saw themselves in a teen movie because it isn't about the most popular girl in school, Mm -hmm. but it's also not about, like, a huge dork. Like, Mm -hmm. it's specifically about someone who's average. And I understand why that makes this important, but, like, we don't really have teens that listen to this show. We have adults that are healing their inner teen that listen to this show. And I hope that all of you can... Talk to your inner duff if you were a duff. And I will fully admit, in some of my friend groups, I was the duff. In my pageant and baton friend groups, oh my God, am I the duff. I'm very aware of that. Oh, feth. Oh, that's true. Like, it was. And, like, there's nothing wrong with owning that. Like, I think people get really weird when somebody wants to own, like, hey, I know that I'm the ugliest one of my friends. And everyone's like, oh my God, you're not, though. Like, you're so cute. Like, there's nothing wrong with admitting that and knowing that it's okay Okay, but like speaking of you, let's let's actually bring this around to the story because I actually have Rot a really row. good point. Oh no! <laughs> um, one of the things that Bianca yells at Wes about is that he's the jock, which means he's embarrassed to be seen with her. 
Oh, I know you're going with this. Okay, yes. And, like, this is not the first time you would see, like, this kind of a, oh, she's kind of, like, into horror movies, and she wears flannel and, like, frumpy clothes or it's whatever. It's always the flannel. Like, it's always, she she wears flannel. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? It's comfortable. Um, but, like, this is not the first time we've seen this type of girl. This is actually pretty common as far as, like, this trope goes. Mm-hmm. She hits a lot of these sort of beats. Um, if, if you're not, if you're not the goth girl, mm-hmm. you're this kind of like low maintenance alternative girl. Yes. So how do you feel about that being a plot point that they throw out there and then don't do anything And then they with? don't unpack it? Yeah. Like Wesley does not do any soul searching on that. Mm-mm. They don't no. interrogate it. He just goes, huh, maybe you're right. And then he works his way through it immediately. So... I think I've talked about this on the show before. If I have not, (laughs) here's another deep dive into my high school experience. I very frequently would, um, it made me feel powerful. Uh, Shame fucking, I don't know if that's the right word, uh, but I would absolutely have sex with these like jockey boys in high school, even though one, I don't like men, and two, I sure as shit don't give a flying fuck about your RBIs. Like I don't, I don't (laughs) care. Um, but I used to do that all the time because I felt this like very weird power trip of knowing that all of these jockey boys really had a thing for the alt girl. Like they wanted to date the alt girl and fuck the alt girl, Mm -hmm. but they knew because of their social standing that they should not do that and they could not be seen with that girl. So they had to do it in secret. And high school is a cruel hierarchy of social standings and like cliques and whatever. Mm -hmm. It's starting to go away a little bit, which is really nice because there's not as like clicky sort of things that exist anymore, which I like. But when we were in high school, absolutely was still a thing. Sure. But that is a very unspoken thing that happens in high school that we don't want to talk about because, one, it forces the admittance of, like, high schoolers having sex, which is a topic that people want to run away from as fast as humanly possible. But jock boys love edgy girls. They like the girls that you're not supposed to like. There is, I don't know, I suppose, like, the shame is attractive to them. I think it's the shame. I think it's also the fact that a lot of times – the alt girls tend to be more in charge mm-hmm. and they don't want to admit that they like a girl that bosses them around a bit. Yeah. Um, and we kind of see that a little bit in teen movies where you then that like, that's why so many of these like jockey, like cute himbo boys have these like mean as fuck girlfriends in high school movies. Mm-hmm. They secretly like them being mean to them. Obviously like we're not saying it's acceptable to treat your partner like shit. No way. No. But like that's why they stay with them as long as they do because they kind of like being topped slash dommed by women and this is the high school equivalent is they date a girl who's mean to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's obviously like we have some wires that, that are getting some, crisscrossed here. That's some big brain stuff that they are not no. at a point yet no. to work their way through. Yeah, they are not ready to unpack, oh, I like strong women who are sure of themselves. So then in turn that gets turned into – I guess I like it when my girlfriend's mean. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, no, that's well, that's not what you like, sweetheart. Especially adding that to being like, in this one, it's like, oh, well, you know, Madison is the most popular girl in school and they're the, she's the on-again, off-again girlfriend of the football player. I do like that they call it a strobe light where it's on-again, off-again. Yeah. And like, that's, I think, really funny. That, that's, that's a that's, good, that's good a term. Good, yeah, it's a good yeah. term. Um, so, like, again, it's like the 
obligation, I suppose, of like, mm-hmm. this is the type of girl you're supposed to be with. Yes, it and, is. And, and that's, we talked about this. And you're I not think, supposed to like the Duff. And I think we talked about this maybe in our Daydream Nation episode, where we would also see that happen with like edgy boys who would be really into like the quote unquote popular girl in school, mm-hmm. even though like the alt girl is probably the better fit for them. But it's like that social conditioning of like, well, I'm supposed to like the, the prom queen. Well, but, yeah, it's because you're not supposed to look at like the Duff as a person. Yeah. You look at the Duff as a stepping stone. You look at the Duff as one of the guys. A, a means to an end, maybe, even. Right. Like, either you plan on utilizing the Duff like a tool. Yes. Like, you know, in a dehumanized type way. Correct. Or they're just friends. Right. And again, we are speaking specifically in generalities oh, and yeah. archetypes. We're dealing, we're dealing with high school stereotypes. Yes. We are not dealing with the nuances of actual human existence. Yeah. Um, v- important disclaimer, because... Some people love taking things out of context. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's what we're dealing with in this movie. And it is very frustrating that, like, never does Wes really unpack why he actually likes Bianca. (laughs) Like, I assume that the writing is like, oh, well, he always kind of liked her. Like, he he had good feelings when they were friends and hanging out growing up. And then they went their separate ways and came back. But it's like, no, like, they established pretty well early on. Oh, no, they hate each other. And there's also no acknowledgement to Madison either. Like, he gets crowned homecoming king, and it's like, are you going to go get your crown? It's like, no, I'm going to get the girl. And she just kind of like, ah, and scoffs away. There's no, like, you're horrible to me, and I like her because she's wonderful and kind and funny and fantastic. Like, that big gesture doesn't exist. The gesture is the kiss. Like, that is what exists. They also don't spend very much time on the fact that, like, He took Madison to Think Rock and then made out with her. And also that scene looks like butt because I think they green screened them in and the lighting's (laughs) really awful. Oh no, I just (laughs) it is it is very unattractive looking in terms of how they did whatever they did with it. But first of all, he didn't think there was anything wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And then they didn't really talk about it. They just kind of were like, that's bullshit, and I hate you. And now I guess we're fine because we actually like each other, which I that's a For someone who has an on-again, off-again relationship be, like, standard in his life, I think that that makes sense for him. Right. But I don't know. She She's obsessive and vindictive and broke up with friends of 10 years very quickly. So why did she take him back so fast? Like, it's just clumsy. And you could say teens. this movie is a mess. You could say writing. You could say teens. Like, there's reasons you can make excuse for it, but it's not narratively satisfying. And I think that's the issue this whole movie has, where nothing quite clicks as well as it should. And so it's not narratively satisfying. It's only satisfying if you like these actors or if you like these tropes and you see this as, like, something destined to happen from Mm -hmm. the start of the movie. Yeah, and that's why I say that I have a love-hate relationship with this movie because there are some aspects of it that I think are really strong. I think the idea is really good. I just hate what they did with it. Mm -hmm. Like, you had the opportunity to really write something impactful and intelligent and powerful and just sort of floundered it into this movie that kind of went away. Like, there's a reason that Mean Girls is still being talked about all these years later and Easy A is still being talked about all these years later. And the Duff just sort of, you know, popularized a term that then people used to be hurtful. The same way that, like, Just Friends is a movie about dismantling the friend zone, but then 
it unfortunately just made the friend zone seem more legitimate. Mm -hmm. That's what happened with The Duff. This movie that was supposed to dismantle a social construct um, just made it more popular and people learned the term and started using it more. And that's really counterproductive. And again, like that's not the movie's fault, but I would be more forgiving if the movie were better. True. Though, to be fair, we've done Easy A and we've done Mean Girls and those movies are also kind of counterintuitive to what the takeaway from them is. Mean Girls, is Regina George the villain? No, she's honest about being a bitch. Is Easy A about like uh, claiming your sexuality but also slut shames people at the same time? That's a very good point. You're, I, I yep, mean, no, you're right. <laughs> it's kind of perfectly in line with its predecessors. It's just not entertaining enough to distract you from it. That Okay, no, that is the good point. Yes, Easy A and Mean Girls has enough like iconic moments that you can kind of wave your hand a little bit at its theming that doesn't quite connect. The Duff doesn't have that. It has sleight of hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're right. You're 100% right. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, so, so you know what? Maybe The Duff is actually a perfectly fine teen movie. And give it time and everyone's going to look back fondly on it. I don't know. I guess I we'll find so. out. I don't think so. I think it's gone. I think this is forever going to pop up randomly on Tubi for free. Um, or it'll just randomly be like, oh, do you remember that movie? No. Did you ever see that movie? I think I did. I don't remember it. I mean, that was me the first time I probably saw it scrolling through Netflix and went, huh, okay, I moved on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think that sort of wraps things up on the duff. So Harmony... The time has come. Sure. The Duff is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying her ticket so she can go on her own? This one's a weird one for me because I don't think this is a bad movie. I think this is a frustrating movie mm -hmm. because it's not what I want it to be. And I don't know if that's a me thing. It's clearly an us thing. Mm -hmm. I um, hope that I haven't like really influenced you on this. I know sometimes I'm pretty powerful like that. No, no. I mean, I remember walking away from it and being like, well, I mean, I didn't really laugh very much during mm -hmm. this movie and that's not necessarily a good sign <laughs> so uh, i'm i'm i could send it on its own but i think we deserve better so i'm just gonna say no all right it's not like a hard no like i don't hate this movie like if they show up on their own like fuck it but yeah. we're not paying for this it this isn't like where i'm actively <laughs> like no i need you all to understand 10 things i hate about you is actually bad and goes <laughs> against ideals that you don't realize no, I, I, I'm not as passionate about that as this one. I'm just like, no, I'm good. <laughs> well, I kind of had a feeling that's where you're going. And it could have gone either way. It could have gone either way. But yes, I we haven't had a no in a while. Yeah. It's been a while since we've had a no from you. I didn't know we were going to have a no. I was just like, we should do more films from 2015 because we haven't in a long time. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, yeah, that's a, that's the duff. And... Friends, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. I mean, honestly, who knows what Elon Musk is doing with Twitter? Maybe not Twitter. We'll find out. I mean, we'll, <laughs> we'll be there, and I'm 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 willing to be there until the bitter end because it might be funny. It's true. So I'm I'm down for, to be the band on the Titanic with for this for the time being. You can find <laughs> us on Twitter, <laughs> Twitter and Instagram at This Ends at Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap, underscore tour. And as always, thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what music do you want people to check out this week inspired by The Duff? So because 
much of the Duff's music either sounds like Charlie XCX or Iconopop, I wanted to find someone who, you know, fits that vibe. And you're going to have a little bit more of uh, I Don't Care and Boom Clap, which it's like so weird that Boom Clap's in this movie when it was popularized in Fault in Our Stars like the year before. <laughs> but the person I'm shouting out this week is Sizzy Rocket. She is sort of an underground pop singer who has a bit of a darker flair, but also like a wide range of sounds. Um, I got into her with her Anarchy album a couple years ago, which mixes like darker pop with like sort of sludgy beats. And like, this is the kind of pop that I can get behind. But her more recent EP is called Bubblegum. It came out a few weeks ago and it mixes punk into the mix, which like, I feel like we're getting to a point socially where it's like, Hey, um, hip hop eventually became intertwined with R&B, which became intertwined with pop music. Mm -hmm. And now we're starting to see punk sort of be intertwined with all of these together at the same time. And I'm not upset by that if it's done well. And I think she did a really, really good job on this one. So listen to either of those albums, depending on which flavor you're feeling. Lovely. Alrighty, we will see you next time. Thank you again for listening. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Bye. guys like you even thought about this kind of stuff. Well, that's because you're racist against jocks. You're jocksist. Okay, moving on. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.